Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. Twenty twenty twenty. It's episode twenty or bente for a few good physios. Champagne glasses. We got to celebrate this one. Uh, yes. We thought we were gonna have one episode. Now we got twenty. Can't believe we did twenty episodes, but we're here now. We're here now, and uh, we're fresh off of a guest last week, which was awesome. Again, we want to thank Sarah Dimick. It was a really enjoyable podcast, and we we're gonna have a lot more people like her on, including her partner. Yes. Talking about the positivities of good quality care and good quality training. Yes. And, um, yep, Sarah Corey will be joining us soon. Mm. Uh, got the confirmation from that yesterday. Nice. But uh, today's episode is a, a week in review. And mm. um, we may play with the title, but we're advocating for some change that a segment of us, segment of the industry is definitely moving toward. But um, there's another larger very large segment that mm-hmm. is uh, encroaching. And, and um, Lee has a good analogy of the Dave, David and Goliath, which has been posted. Yeah. Uh, so there's some interesting articles uh, that came up on the New York Times in the last week, and it's the merger of Cigna and Express Scripts. Uh, they got approval from the Justice, Justice Department. That sounds very official. Uh, very similar to another merger that happened earlier this year, which was Aetna... And CVS. So basically, for those of you who don't know the companies, uh, Aetna, <clears throat> Aetna is an, a large insurance company, and they bought in to CVS, which is a pharmacy slash convenience store. Mm. Um, and uh, Cigna is also a large health and con- health insurance company, mm-hmm. and Express Scripts uh, is a large online pharmacy, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I in in all truth, I skimmed this article from the New York Times, uh, the merger of Cigna Express Scripts. But you know, some of these things are hard to read, at least for me. Um, <laughs> but just just to understand it a little bit, um, you know, it's it's a, basically you take a health insurance company, and then you're going to take, I guess, a, a Express Script like pharmacy. Right, and you get those two together. So the g- ultimate goal would be to basically get drugs faster. Get drugs faster, and also um, the pharmacy was getting paid by the large insurance company. So I guess the insurance company sees how much they're actually paying, let's say Express Scripts, and says, "Well, instead of paying them, <laughs> they're going to work for us. <laughs> why don't we just own them?" So right. it, it's a bit of a. I mean, obviously the reason. The first line of this article, right? The title of this article, um, the approval of the Justice Department. Part of the reason that is taking place is because there's a lot of monopoly and antitrust laws that I'm sure that had to be navigated. Yeah. If that's the word or paid for. Hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's basically they're not, they're buying 
a part of the chain, right? They're they're controlling where their money's going. It's going to themselves. But um, you know what this may, what it could mean for. I mean, this is a trend, a growing trend in the healthcare industry, as mentioned in the article. That you know, there's a lot of consolidations amongst these big, large corporations, and what that is, means for the customer may mean um, less choice or less. I mean, they'll have price control over these drugs now. So, one of the a quick little thing here says uh, the acquisition would benefit customers by allowing the two companies to bring together patients' medical and pharmaceutical histories to improve treatments and lower cost. The step, this is from the Cigna chief chief executive, um, the steps further our strategy to improve the affordability and the value to our customer in a more personalized way. So... That was a quote. That's a quote. Let me, can you... uh, Uh, That will be in the one, two, three... Third. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Quality healthcare and competitive pricing for healthcare services in pharmaceutical drugs is critical to U.S. Uh, consumers. Did you, wait, you didn't say that one. That was another no, one. No, no, no. Together, we believe we'll be able to. Blah, blah, blah. All right. So, wait, how about yeah. this one? Together, we believe we'll be able to do even more to reduce healthcare costs, expand choice, and improve patient outcomes. Hmm. Now, just break that down for a second. That was a quote by Tim Wentworth the chief executive of Express Scripts. Together, we believe we'll be able to eat, do even more to reduce health care costs. Just stop right there. Mm-hmm. Reduce health care costs. So if you want to reduce health care costs, what's the two major things that's happening to this country right now as we speak that's increasing our health care costs? Not moving. Not moving. <laughs> Surgery and medication. Surgery. Surgery and medication. I mean, from our standpoint, we're talking, of course, orthopedic outpatient field, and you can even argue like cardiac um, surgeries, cardiothoracic surgeries, diabetes. You know, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars going in and out of our healthcare system every year. So by merging with a um, pharmaceutical express script company, I don't see how you're going to reduce costs. It's, that's a misnomer. It's a false statement. It's a false statement. You, if you're going to really try to reduce costs, invest what's been shown by research to save money, which is conservative management, education, like you said, moving, exercise. I think, um, I think even in school, uh, I recall when we went, uh, we were just talking about note writing, but we mm-hmm. had took a note writing class of some sort in school, and they were like, be careful with the word prevention. Yes, I do remember health this. insurance companies and Medicare it's restoration, restoration. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, prevention is a huge. That that I think is a is a cost. Now a they point. they may have, I don't know if um, any healthcare companies have done wide wide scale research on the cost of prevent cost benefit of prevention. But you know, all of again, G- Lee and I are a bit jaded on the topic. Uh, just because we know what the benefits are, and uh, we truly believe in those benefits, but yeah, I don't understand how a, a healthcare company merging with um, a pharmacy, pharmacy, pretty much, um, is going to reduce costs. And, and so, reduce healthcare costs. The next part: expand choice and improve patient outcomes. That's a lo- this is a loaded friggin' quote, but it, it this is going to go into one of my weapons that I see that Jeez. people like this are using. This euphemistic language in this language of confusion and this idea that things aren't happening. So this unacknowledgement. 
Um, so expand choice. What Eric just said, like this most likely will lead to less choice. You're now combining two companies into one where they can control things and basically just give you one choice. Like if you look at that movie um, uh, Wall-E, we talked about it before. Remember the theme of the movie? It was so far in the future, there was just one company that everything, ran everything. It was like a big and tall company or something. It was like the equivalent of Costco. Right. And they just ran like food and medicine and spaceships and all this other shit. That's the same thing that's happening. This whole idea of, oh, we're just going to monopolize everything and they're just going to become one gigantic company. And then there's literally just four stupid old white guys sitting around a table and be like, we're going to make decisions for everybody and get ourselves new boats. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of boats being purchased after (laughs) this. But, I mean, to be fair, it is... um, it is a trend, right? So mm. the, the article goes on to kind of talk about these other similar relationships. CVS and Aetna, we just mentioned. Mm. Optimum RX is now owned by United Healthcare. Aetna operates uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. So, you know, these these um, these mergers are, are pretty much an industry norm. But, you know, the Justice Department is a little nervous that all of these are happening pretty soon, you know, but pretty a short amount of time. They accepted it. They accepted, they accepted it. it. And then what are we talking about? 62 billion, 50 something billion? 52 billion. I mean, there's no way in hell, like these massive amounts of money are so hard to even, you know, what's happening now is like more and more of these deals are, are occurring and somewhat under the radar. Obviously this is an article in New York Times, so it's definitely not under the radar, but who knows what's, what's being negotiated right now, what's going to happen in the future. And people who get affected are not going to be them. I mean, they're going to be reaping the benefits. Everybody else, including the patients and, let's say, conservative management therapists, doesn't have to be just physical therapy. There's all sorts of other conservative management therapists out there, occupational therapists, chiropractors, DOs, uh, all these other people. They are not going to be reaping benefits. They'll probably work against them. But. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. Again, this is a, a bit of a norm, uh, mm. but it's pretty it, it's it's coming to light, you know. And I'm not sure how the public will or will not react. You know, often these kind of things go under the radar until you're in a position that you need healthcare services, and then mm. you realize that it's kind of shut down. I'll just show you this that I highlighted. Oh. Yeah, so, and that's happening already. Yep, exactly. And it's it's in the paper. <laughs> uh, so, you know, something that, uh, this is another, you know, on topic in the article. The article goes on to say that in January, Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and Berkshire Hathaway announced a plan to team up uh, to address these healthcare costs that are spiraling out of control. So they're going to try to create their own little kind of in-house um, healthcare to their employees, so well, keep that on the radar. It's very, very similar. I guess the only, the only benefit is they they may be doing different. Excuse me, business from a different perspective, mm-hmm. um, but it's yet to yet to pan out. I just wanted to read a, um, a paragraph here. I'm again, I'm just scanning this. Rising drug prices are forcing the issue for the insurers," said Terry Stone, a managing partner for. Oliver Wayman, a consultant. Many were unprepared for the onslaught of new, very expensive medications, she said, and were, quote, caught off guard, end quote, 
when new hepatitis C drugs were introduced a few years ago at a cost of tens of thousands of dollars to treat a single individual. So I'm I'm getting from this uh, paragraph that they're saying that this deal would reduce this. In theory, I don't know. That's all, what all, all in theory, and in a, a way it, the way it seems to work is if they're a larger company and they have the backbone of a health uh, health insurer, they have more leverage with the pharmaceutical companies, which do business very, very ethically correct. You know, they oh, do, by the way. <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense to me. What is the theme with insurance companies? What's the theme? Like, do you, every year, do your premiums go down? No. No, every year they, they go, go up. up. They go I up. mean, they go up. We get less and less uh, uh, services for the more premium. Uh, you know, I won't name this person, but I know somebody who was on um, uh, some health insurance company, and it literally doubled, literally doubled that following year, the exact same plan. I mean, how sustainable is that? It's not, they had to get off of it and be on Cobra for a while or whatever it was, and that's like $500 a month in its own. Um, but it's just that this doesn't make any sense to me. That's like basically saying it's like the whole crazy definition. You you do the same thing and you expect a different result over and over again. And, and again, I as, as some uh, some people in power have said, it's a complicated issue. <laughs> it's, a um, complicated. I, it's hard to put your finger on like point the blame, right? I mean, is yeah. it the healthcare insurance? Excuse me, health insurance company just covering, making sure their profit margin isn't affected. Is it the pharmaceutical companies that are pushing their prices, which is making some health care insurers um, non-competitive? Right. Um, is it health care providers or hospital institutions that are charging $500 for an aspirin? Well, you know, so there's not, just to be fair, you know, it's hard to point a single finger. But the truth is, is that these mergers kind of, not sure how that's going to benefit uh, the general consumer, the the per- the person looking for the quote health care because it's really not health care. Well, we were talking about sick care, right? This is really sick care, not health care. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, sicker and quicker, all that stuff. And I agree with you. No, I I hundred percent agree. I could sit here easily and just start pointing my finger and and naming names and blame people and blame companies. But the the real thing is like you know all this stuff is like taking towels and try to like stuff. Uh, a leak in the ceiling, but nobody's going to go up on the fucking roof and see what's causing the leak. So what's right. really causing the leak is this mindset of Western health, like this, you know, this lack of education, this uh, misinformation. It's all, you know, that it's gaining profit margin on one end and then not giving information to help people actually become healthier with all this, you know, uh, technology and research and things like that. Yeah, and I uh, think, you know, as a physical therapist, as a trainer, for those of you who, who may be listening, you know, it really starts with one person, right? One patient, one client. And uh, I do believe in the power of kind of a, a domino effect. You know, that person has now improved their well-being, their health, and may pass that on to someone within their circle. Right. So, I mean, as frustrating as this is, um, as a, you know, I was going to say as a provider, I, I, yeah. don't, I don't like that word. As a physical therapist, as a trainer, as frustrating, frustrating as it is, um, I, I am optimistic in at least the work I do along with the people that I'm around doing the good work. So, mm. But, you know, there, there needs to be more of us. There needs to be an army. Well, so, that, <laughs> so that going into to our next point. Go, yeah, the next um, uh 
our next metaphor analogy uh i'll let lee take it on from here uh, so i i'm going back and forth the how much i want to go into this but in general and we've talked about this so many times advocating advocating for change no i think the majority of physical therapists they want they don't want to hear this they don't want to you know, like say anything too much because if they look too upset and whatever, then they might not get, you know, what their reimbursement rates are like. The insurance companies might be upset if they have their own business. God knows what. I don't know. But that's not helping us. That What's not helping us is just sitting back and complaining about it. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons Eric and I started this podcast is we wanted, we had information that we wanted to pass on to people. And we did as much as we could with patients one-on-one and our colleagues and stuff like that. This technology of having a podcast is huge. We can have a lot more people listen in, and, and the, it's fine. They don't agree with it or, or whatever. Um, but the people who don't know this information, they learn it, and then they make changes. That's great. That's what we want. This is what we know what we can do. And there's some other things that we have going on in the background that we're trying to work with or projects and things like that. We're not just sitting here talking shit through a microphone. We're, we're also trying to do other things on the outside with major institutions like schools and stuff like that. Definitely students and new grads. And mentorships. Yeah, so like all these things. But I, I do have to say those who are out in the field right now do realize this. This is It's a problem. This is not normal how things are operating in the physical therapy world. It's not. So as as great as our associations that are trying to do certain things, they're not kind of hitting the point where separating themselves from what is the problem. Like right now in the orthopedic outpatient world, the mills that do not perform physical therapy and just are a lesson in billing and ultrasound and just doing this cycle of whatever you want to say, documentation, and then churning people out, churning people in, that's not helpful. And connecting with those mills is not helpful either. So supporting them is not great. Um, so I would, one of my, my biggest thing is you want to advocate for change, you want to elicit change, then you have to get out of this circle that's happening or, you know, this, uh, you know, there's usually um, a rhythm that happens and, and you have to get bumped to get out of the rhythm to, get into this next circle if you want that to happen. If you don't want it to happen, just friggin' stay there, complain every day, be miserable, be burnt <laughs> out, whatever you want to do. I mean, well, I see this all the time. Well, let, well, ultimately, what I, I've been saying this for a while, but you're, you're letting other people decide your, your career. I mean, your, your, quote, autonomy isn't really existent. And I think um, as I've... I've I've come to realize over the last five years that there are other entities that are now controlling our industry, right? So you went to, you, you know, you made the decision to go to graduate school, you, you got a license, you took the boards, you're gung-ho about, quote, helping people, but you have people, you have other or, corporations, organizations, lobbying groups, whatever you have, you making decisions that will affect your life, will mm -hmm. affect your salary, will affect... Even your patients' outcomes. I mean, so there's a lot, a lot that's going into it, and I think um, one has to know all these things and make your own decision. And Lee said, if you're okay with that and just want to show up to your job, that's fine. But know that um, you're not 
Yeah, you may not be working to your potential. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> and this is the best time now than ever because we have evidence. We have evidence. We have research. We got a, a large group of people who are advocating for these changes, and they're not part of big associations. They're just on their own individually. They're from other countries. They're from here. There's other. There's many people doing this. This is the best time now than ever. So you can contribute in that sense, spreading the word, trying to influence other people on how to educate other people to maybe even start cash-based businesses, uh, educating people on pain science, exercise, strength conditioning. These are things that, are, if you bullet point it, are going to push us forward. So add a network, cash-based business, strength conditioning, knowledge, and expertise. Use that as a skill set. Pain science, that is not going away. That's going to lead, if you look at the, the big picture, that's going to lead to some change because that directly goes against this model is that I have to perform some passive modality on you and you're going to get better and you're broken and you're, you know, need to be fixed. No, it actually empowers the patient. It educates the patient. It gives them tools that they can take care of themselves and then they can spread that knowledge. They're more likely to take care of themselves, less likely to have medication, less likely to go get surgery, elective surgery, imaging, all that stuff. So this is something that, although we might be sitting here bitching about things, we are trying to give actual skills to make a change. Yeah, I think a lot of new therapists, and even old, um, feel somewhat... um feel somewhat beaten on this because the idea they they feel that there's a lot of barriers there's there's a lot of barriers to doing exactly what Lee said there's barriers to trying to promote exercise there's barriers to trying to work for a cash-based business or starting your own business there's plenty of barriers for that Mm -hmm. one mainly being fear but um Mm. Uh, yeah, there are certain financial. Ba- there's a lot. There's a lot of barriers out there to to making the jump, but um, knowing the other side exists, and also knowing that working toward that, however you can, whether that's working part time on top of your full time job to work on your own practice, maybe that's taking con ed to try to improve your skills so that you could prove yourself in a different domain. So. There's there's definitely ways out there, guys, and there's again the barriers are really self-created um, because again you know we if enough people make their own path then the system kind of changes. Right. But right now there's a lot of complacency, and it, it's part of the we've discussed this at length, and I'm making a huge assumption here, but the kind of personality type that kind of goes through with physical therapy that gets into the industry in general is one that thinks of helping and. Typically, is an optimist, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, and just doesn't think about the other moving parts aside from what's managing their career. Well, excuse me, what's influencing their career? And um, unfortunately, uh, there just needs to be more people. It's just a volume, a volume thing. Yeah, um, and I just wanted to bring up real quick about um, other professions that we can learn from. So. We've discussed in the past chiropractors. Nothing bad. We know so many chiropractors who do very great treatment and they're very knowledgeable, very skillful clinicians, 
and of course there's the opposite they're not they're not great you know we hear about it from patients and doctors and other chiropractors but we can learn from them they have completely separated themselves from the quote western medical community and been able to get the practice rights to do things such as order imaging. Some states apparently get uh, prescribed med- medication, anti-inflammatories, or whatever it may be. Um, they're not really limited by insurance when it comes to how many treatments they can treat somebody by state by state. Like we have direct access. The insurers are working their way around that for sure. We're right. every day, every mid-year. There's always some new policy from other insurance companies. They're like, oh well, now you need a prescription for that type of plan inside that insurance company, so direct access doesn't apply. Really? Okay, I've been practicing for eight years, and you need still need a prescription, but we're quote direct access. Pro-. Anyway, so that doesn't happen in chiropractors. So how did that happen? They got together and they lobbied for change. And they, yeah, they had lobbying power. They had financial investments, but they went in the right direction. So like when this whole new thing with Aetna came down, where we posted about it recently, some associations weren't like, "Mm, no, let's challenge that. They were like, "Mm, let's make it easier for them to implement this and we'll, quote, educate our uh, physical therapists to implement it even easier. No, we don't need to get educated about how to implement it easier. We need to figure out why they're doing this and if it doesn't match up with how we can give quality care, then it shouldn't happen. And we should say, like, no, we're not going to do this. We're the one providing this care. We're, we're the clinicians providing this care. Right. So, no. I, I, yeah. I don't want to. And I, just this week, man, I, I had Blue Cross Blue Shield. I had Aetna. And I had every day was like, well, this note needs authorization. This note needs authorization. Holy shit. Like. More ultimate, you, do you see that as a trend? There's more just this week. Like right, right, I, right. I had. I mean, today's only Tuesday. Right, right, right. Feels. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had. It was like a week. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of evals. I guess it was. It must have been last Thursday and Friday. Uh, sorry, last Wednesday, Friday, and then Monday. So, I, I, I it was starting last week. So, because um, I think that the onset date of all this was September 18th. If I educated myself correctly and read those emails, mm. but yeah. That doesn't help me. That this doesn't help me. What? Because I could spend that time emailing the patient, e- emailing. Because I had to make a choice. I remember yesterday, I was like, "Do I email this patient their home exercise program and the information I went over them today, or do I have to before five o'clock? Do I have to give our billing department the note to get done?" And at the end of the day, I'm not going to have time. Right. I'm not going to have time. And we we don't get paid enough to have a an assistant sitting next to us and writing notes. And that hap- You know, if we get enough reimbursement rate uh, to hire happen. an assistant. Yeah, we could have. Fine. I'll, I'll If you give us enough, then I'll get an assistant and they can write the note. Have whatever friggin' policy you want. Then I can email the patient. Yeah, I think what, what this all boils down to is it is this authorization process and these changes, these, po- these policy changes, how does that really affect patient care? Yeah. Um, I, as Lee clearly clearly stated i mean it's basically going to be a choice between documentation and patient care and unfortunately you might not even have the choice because if you choose the patient care you may not be able to care for the person too long because they'll get denied yeah they're not going to get treatment so yeah this i mean are these policy changes are these mergers beneficial to the person in the middle which is the patient right right and um, it really doesn't sound, I mean, one of the most frustrating, 
I guess, parts of our job is documentation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I understand the the benefit, excuse me, I understand the benefit slash the the necessity for documentation. But what we're discussing now is not documentation. It's, It's basically authorization from another person that's most of the time non-clinical entity. They may have, quote, clinical help, but we all know that that's, you know. They're motivated by everything yeah, else. Right, I mean, right, that right, clinical right. help, it's, they're it's, like. It's a bias. The more you deny, the more money you'll get. Right, right. Like, and we don't, we don't know that. We don't know that, <laughs> but it appears that way. Oh, because, I know that. No, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we have the inside kidding. track. But uh, they, yeah, they don't, they're never like, all right person has lower back pain you know what just let me know when they're better you know what well, you're, you're 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 good just keep treating this patient i totally get that i totally get it and matt said it when he was here with jordan uh like yeah, having that that the limitation i get it, it it's that i'm totally fine with that and i'm totally fine documenting uh i think it's just it's gone the other way like that's right. you meet a lot i observing behaviors is what we do for a living so a lot of the quote burnout burnt out therapists that i view very close in my 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 environment i see the same themes this absolute obsession with documentation and the frustration that they get when their their work put into the documentation does not pan out for visits And that totally makes sense as a human being. Like you do everything right and you document this person's dysfunction or whatever it may be, their medical necessity. And they're like, yeah, just two visits more. That's all you get. And then you're like, why, why would you document again like that? Why would you, you know, that, why would you feel good about doing that? Obviously it's our job to do that legally. We have to, I get it. Yes. But what I'm saying is what they're looking at is not necessarily in the same mindset that we're looking at. What they're looking at is, all right, well, they have this plan. Their pain rating is a four, not a five. We really need that to be a five. Their range of motion, I didn't even really look at that. But their outcome measures on something that I don't even relate to is really high. <laughs> so they're not going to get any more visits. No, well, they can't even fucking walk. And they their range of motion is severely limited. And they can't do the things that they love to maybe keep themselves healthy. They can't lift their baby. They can't. Go work out where when they go work out, that's what their doctor told them to do to keep themselves healthy. And if they didn't work out, then their blood pressure goes up. Then they're going to develop cardiovascular disease. And then they're going to be more stressed out. They're going to drink more alcohol. Then they're they're (laughs) going to get fatter. This is all because of you, big company. (laughs) But all because of their authorization, right? It's just it's this stupid circle that they don't understand. It's not just about that flash number. Great, good for you for being able to say they have not a high pain. Uh, their outcome measure is great. Good for friggin' you. What about the person? What about the person? Why is that person coming in to see the therapist? And the therapist, nine times out of ten, are gonna is they're gonna write why they're coming in. They're a nurse and they can't do their job. They're a father and they can't lift their kid. They can't play with a kid. Read that. Read that. Well, maybe you know. I think the the call for change here would be into looking. What are we looking at when we're quote we when the insurance companies are authorizing visits, right? What are they looking at? Now, we know the pain is not objective and that number gets played with. Yeah. We know that, um, you know, some of these outcome measures, although valid and reliable, <laughs> really mean nothing in the real scheme of things, right? Yeah. And often patients filling out these outcome measures say, well, what? 
this isn't relevant. Mm-hmm. They get only, right. <laughs> this Very isn't irrelevant. You know, can I comb my hair? The person might be bald, like myself. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. Or, or can you, you know, can you walk? Are you? Can you walk three blocks? That might not be relevant for someone in Texas. Uh, running. Yeah, can run, you run a mile? Did you run a mile? <laughs> I have patients who get so upset about this. They're like, I refuse to answer these questions. Right, right. So again, I, uh, the call to action here is. What can we do differently, uh, I guess as a field, to really push the idea of what, we, what are we looking at and when, why don't we look at things that are relevant to the, the patient's life, yeah. the patient, the reason, the real reason they're coming in, right? Not all these objective measures. Well, they, I mean, they essentially want as many numbers as pos- possible to manipulate. You know, this we've seen it kind of firsthand. We kind of behind the curtain and one thing that companies love, corporate companies, they love stats and numbers. Data. They love data and they bring in these people and they pay them a lot of money to bring them in. They just read a bunch of data and these people who are not clinicians, they're like, "Well, this number says this and this number says this in about 3 months it's going to say this." Right, right. Great. So what data. if they their utilization went down in July and August and it went back up in September all the way to December. I wonder what the fuck happened there. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe people went on vacation. Yeah. So find Maybe. out a different way to make money. Find, you know, you're a big company. You can make money in all sorts of ways and you have like a whole friggin' uh, social media department and you guys don't even have a friggin' Instagram account. Like how the... Uh, it just, anyways, so that's, they love data. They data. love data. And why don't we look at examples of people actually doing this, countries that are doing this. They're in Australia, Canada, New Zealand. You know, there's people there who are bringing this information to the forefront, and they're affecting as much change as possible. And they're getting written up in these big articles, uh, big journal articles, things like that. And they're trying to show, like, we need more information on the patient side versus these these numbers to treat the patient effectively. And we need to give more information to the patient. And to do that. We need to educate them, and to educate them, we need to sit down with them. You need time. We need time. (laughs) You get me? See what I'm saying? Time. And when the person's filling out that objective measure, and it's like, what? I haven't ran in 30 years. (laughs) I don't have hair. You know, all of the all this is time wasted from actually looking at your patient. Right. You know, I had um my primary care doctor, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um. During a checkup, asked me, you know, I was talking to him, and he was like, I, "My apologies, I got to, I got to write my notes on this computer, um, due to legislation. You know, I need to document everything electronically. Unfortunately, instead of looking at you, I'm now looking at a screen, so I'm actually missing certain cues that I normally would have picked up, but my face is now. This was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to you know 2018. That's one of one of my pet peeves is when someone is doing an evaluation and they're not looking at the patient but writing their notes, which they're, they're trying to be efficient, and I understand that. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's a perfect example of how technology is actually pulling away from patient care, right? Yeah. So sorry I went on a tangent there, but I'm trying to express that, you know, the requirements don't match the service. Right. Um and again, the data, we know firsthand that data doesn't always equal reality. No, and that and was another and, thing. And interpret, oh, yeah. interpret, interpreting the data, I believe, should 
have a, someone that understands the field, not someone that understands finance. Right. You know, although the financial aspect is critical, we need to p- put the lights on. Someone that understands what it is to be in the trenches, um, to be treating X patient today. That that that's my opinion. A hundred percent, I agree with you. There was that one, you know, there was a discussion when we had some managerial responsibilities back in the day about like extra. Uh, so I'll just say it, bonuses hmm. for like a, a, an increased utilization. And they they basically were, they they had some really interesting ideas, which none of it made sense. You know, it was kind of like this out of craziness thing. Um, and we we made the simple suggestion. Why don't you accurately track where patients come from, from other people? Like uh, I treat Harry, Harry apparently feels better and is going to back to what he's doing. He tells Sally. Sally comes in and says, I, I heard that you can help me and blah, blah, blah. Track that. And right. then you can give out, if they hit a certain number in a month or three months, whatever it is, then you can give them a little bonus. Because what that means is that they're building trust. They're building that relationship. They're, it's, it's such a simple friggin' thing, too. They couldn't even do that. They couldn't mm. even friggin'. They still can't do it. Yeah, I and, think, uh, yeah, the, the, the idea of bonuses, it's, it's industry-wide, right? And usually it's based on utilization and or the amount of people you see, which makes sense from an owner's perspective because you're going to have people incentivized to see more people. But the question is, does it incentivize them to perform quality care? I have a question for you, and this is a question I wrote down here. Is a better therapist the one who has a higher utilization? Mm. Negative. Um, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't equate those two because often the personality type that you know knows utilization is a revolves around some kind of reward system, and they become driven to that number. Not necessarily care. They don't. They don't equate. No. Yep. I've known many high volume therapists that are very busy, and they make a concerted effort to keep their schedule busy, but their treatments are subpar. So, no, I don't think so. And you know, the more is not the better. Obviously, I mean, no. But companies look at it like that is the better therapist, yeah. and we can easily well, bullet point what you just yeah, said. And, and the good, I, I would say. To be fair, the therapist is an income-producing uh, therapist, yeah, and that—that's yeah. uh, listen. I get it. Um, I would love to have a a, a high-earning uh, therapist on my staff, which I don't have. I have a staff of one right now, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I understand that, but not at the qual. Now, on the flip side of it, if I did hire someone that was quote really busy, yeah. but doing shoddy work, I think that's a huge risk to my business, right? So. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, look, the numbers don't relate to quality. Um, right. And by the way, we've been on both sides. And I'll, I'll say that right now. There have been times where I was extremely utilized, if that's the way to put it. like <laughs> Utilized, I, yeah. I was 100% utilized, utilized right. for a long time. And I, I, was, I was probably a worse therapist in those times because you don't have time to write notes. They don't give you time to write notes. And then you have to do all these other tasks when you work for those companies and – 
you're going from one patient to the next and you have to deal more with the this patient came in late, came in early, this canceled, da, 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 all this little game that every physical therapist has to play. It's a time and, management game. Yeah, <laughs> and it wears you down. And I, luckily, I was somewhat young when that was going on. And uh, like right now, I'm pretty utilized, but uh, I'm nowhere near like a, a you know. It sounds horrible, man. I'm sorry. We're going to have to change that. I don't want to say <laughs> he, he's productive at where he's at, you yes. know, and that's cool. But he's not util- utilized. It's because he's utilized. Ter- it is terrible. It, 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 yeah. You know, that and provider. Yeah, no, no, provider. Uh, You're a high utilization provider, <laughs> a.k.a. you make a lot, someone else a lot of fucking money. No, Pretty, no it's true, it's true. And, and there, oh, there, man. There, I, I, I had a patient the other day, uh, he actually emailed me, and he was he's super nice, and he's, <laughs> he's like, you know, he, I hadn't seen him for years. It was a patient who uh, treated previously and been discharged, whatever. And he's like, how are you doing all this stuff? And he's like, I'm seeing so-and-so therapist uh, as you, from your referral, you know, because I can't see you right now. And he's like, you know, you, you did such a fantastic job. I really hope you're, uh, uh, what did he say? Basically, I hope you're appreciated financially from them, like to that extent. And uh, I was yeah. like, ah, not really, but that's fine. <laughs> 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 no, it's it's a tricky thing. And I, I've learned this, um, I think early on, I mean, I think start of our physical therapy careers and I realized that there's no way you know when you're working for someone else the the ceiling the ceiling is always going to be a little close mm. um and you know I think I had an an idea like oh I'm an asset to this company and I you know I have so much to offer and without me blank 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 and I came to realize that you know we're all somewhat dispendable and mm. you know if I wasn't there then 20 other people can be there and um, you just realize that when you're working for someone else that, you know, you're always going to be working for someone else. And again, they, they, there's a margin in which, you know, they, they're able to, you pay, you pay your own salary mm-hmm. and you pay your own benefits. And then they take a little off the top to provide this quote stability of a job or career. So I think all of that is, is a fallacy because there's no real security. Um, yeah, you know, you could, you could argue that there's a, it's a relatively, a, low risk situation but in essence it's a high risk situation because you're potentially losing that earning power if you were on your own or partnered up with other individuals um that being said you know at the end of the day you know if you're working for someone and it's it's grinding on you as it always does mm-hmm. uh, you know, just this again, explore those options and and think of the barriers that are quote are there you know some of them some of them are quite real, and some of them are perceived, but um, mm. that's my rant. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think if you <clears throat> if you're still listening to this one, <laughs> because <laughs> you might have stopped a while ago. Wow, they look—they sound angry. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, that's the other thing too. Like, this is not out of the norm. I hear so much crap from PTs all the time. We've been treating for eight years. Everything I just said previously, everything Eric just said, it's nothing new. No, nothing no, new, and it's is... not, and it's been said a lot worse than what I said and what Eric said. So we're just expressing regular things that happen. I just, I guess, when I see people who are really visible, social media, journal articles, whoever it is, they're very political. I understand, I get it, but I do think we need a little bit more energy. And you don't have to be like, you don't have to be, you know contentious rude whatever it is you you could just easily intelligently say 
with a lot of vocabulary what we're saying here and advocate for change. It, it's still a possibility, and, and we try to do this every day, and we're doing it with patients, and there's a lot of stuff that it's amazing. When I talk to patients, uh, I had a patient the other day treating him for his elbow right now, and he's going to come back for his neck and his back. He's got all sorts of issues. We had this conversation about Tiger Woods. Mm. And because uh, Tiger Woods just won a really big championship, so yeah. he he was like, oh man, they, you know, he was going through so much stuff. And there's this great podcast that I can't remember the name of it, but Peter O'Sullivan, which we mentioned him so many times before, and he, he was a guest on this podcast. And they asked him back in the day after Tiger was going through those initial issues with his back, you know, about information. And, and Peter O'Sullivan is armed with all this incredible research, and of course his decades of experience and doing research himself i mean he was like you know he said it perfectly but with the absence of neurological symptoms he definitely went down the wrong path multiple surgeries medication all this stuff you know in terms of if he had education or if he had the right people next to him and being like well this you should go down this path you could probably avoid these surgeries because you don't have these neurological symptoms and we're not talking about pain down the leg we're talking about frank motor weakness we're talking about, you know, bowel and bladder dysfunction. Tripping the, over yourself. Yeah, the, those serious things. Pain is a different story. It's a pain is extremely complex. We talked about this so many times before. That's why you have to go see a really skilled clinician, whoever it may be that is going to have the information to discuss it. But my point was having this conversation with the patient I was treating for his elbow, I gave him it's like a sprinkle of that stuff. Mm. And he was, and he's a very educated person. He owns his own business. Very nice guy, and he was just like kind of shell shocked. He's like, "What are you talking about?" Like that. I had the uh, same conversation this morning. Yeah, so I ended up sending him <laughs> a bunch of information, and he was very appreciative. And and I, you know, his, his relationship, him and I, are is very good. So, but that, that we're trying to do that on a small level. I mean, that is what needs to happen to affect change in our field in the medical community here in the in the west on a large scale hmm. large scale change well, I, I had the same conversation this morning with um, an older client of mine he said oh what do you think so that's a great thing you know tiger woods came back you know from he what do you think of those surgeries he had you know he had a fusion and i said well you're asking the wrong person and i said <laughs> um i was like you know i don't i don't know his condition uh, I don't know exactly what what he was going through, but I think uh, it's an overutilized surgery, and research is coming to find out that many people do worse. And he, it's exactly what he said. So I know a couple of people that have had this surgery, and they're in they're in they're not any better. If anything, they I think they're a little worse. Right. So why would they do that? And I said, that's a good question. So I explained to him a fusion. He was like, "Why would you fuse?" You know, this is an older guy with no experience, right? And why would you fuse the discs together? And I said, well, in some extreme cases of a, a traumatic injury, like a, I don't know, burst fracture of your, your spine, different. Like if you have a fracture in your spine and you need a, you're unstable or you tear one of, one of or excuse me, a few major ligaments and you have a, a bone that's just floating around in your spine, different story. But we're talking about lower back pain. Something that affects 80% of people. 90. 90. Look at that. <laughs> Numbers are going up. I remember seeing three out of four, 80%. Now I'm going up to nine. 90. Nine out of 10 people will have lower back pain sometime in their life. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I had it Just last Just interview night. five no, no. people. <laughs> <laughs> My back is hurting right now. No. Um, but um, but but this, this gentleman was like, why would they do that? He was just 
Stunned. Stunned. And I was like, it's a Band-Aid and it's an expensive Band-Aid. And I think people want immediate results. And, and unfortunately, it's mismanagement. Mismanagement. Yeah. Um, mismanagement. And I think at some point... Maybe we'll look back and it, it may be negligent. That's a lot. That's a very loaded word, <laughs> and I don't. Wanna, I use it freely, but um, I agree though. I you know there's a lot agree. of the, a lot of, and again, we are biased for conservative management. But as research is now proving, um, and it'll be on the show notes. Um, <laughs> uh, the so this is going to be a picture of me really angry on the show notes <laughs> this time. I'm just going to be like, oh! <laughs> ripping off his, his headset. <laughs> Oh man, no, it's it's um, it's wild. But the Tiger Woods, I actually told uh, the story about um, when we were in graduate school, and we did the skit on Tiger Woods. Oh my God, that's that right, Jesus, we had the skits. Yeah, man. At one point, uh, poor Tiger had a cervical radiculopathy. That's right. And there was question on how it occurred, whether it was his ex-wife. Or there was a car accident. I, I I don't remember the specifics, but it was. Uh, oh, you had both. We yeah we, we had both. We played it all out, <laughs> and um, we had a video from an Asian news station, which oh I'm unclear God, of, and they that. gave a whole like animation of how it I went totally down. Remember that? How he oh, got I injured? Look that up. Yeah, we gotta look that up. But um, it was it was funny, but it was funny how again people hear tiger woods spinal fusion and say wow you know must have been must have been bad it must have been bad and i heard that again from another client who was like hey he had so much pain he couldn't stand up couldn't play with his kids i mean and i we are not trying to downplay what he was going through that we is have not, we, we're clueless I, I i personally i'm clueless i know lee you don't know that we don't know I the specifics not of his it. clinical information no way like all i know is this information from articles but this is not an uncommon thing. I mean, that's what happens when people have injuries to your back. Like you go through these cycles of pain, then you should ideally you should get everything ruled out. You should get the big stuff ruled out: fractures, uh, a neoplasm, like you know, a growth back there, cord compression, cord compression. I mean, we know we we've seen patients with basically a burst fracture, L one, L two, from serious trauma and they had to get fusion and they they had those serious things they had par they were paralyzed from that part part down but you know that's where fusions are uh medically necessary and that that treatment destabilizes the joint and prevents further spinal cord injury but fusion fusions in general as the nih now has deemed is not going to be normal practice act for non-specific low back pain which sounds like what he had. I mean, yes. maybe unless we're missing something clinically and they didn't want to release it, fine. But he didn't have this frank motor weakness. He didn't have quadriquine syndrome or bowel and bladder dysfunction. Um, you know that. So when you read those things, for the person who might not know, it might shock them. Be like, oh, wow, he had something serious. He, that's why he it warranted four back surgeries and medication and stuff. Well, four back surgeries. It's pretty poor crazy. Guy. And it's good for him. I'm very happy for him that he won uh, the most recent thing. That's hard to come back after five years. That's he's, very challenging. And an injury. You know, we, I was talking to my client this morning about this, but he, he was an, a pioneer in the sense in the golf, I guess the golfing game where strength and conditioning became yes. a thing, which yes. seems like, you know, he had that part of the picture uh, where, you know, he didn't just play golf. I mean, he had a pretty uh, – extensive and i don't know the specifics of it but he was one of the first golfers to really <coughs> popularize strength and conditioning yes so it, it's cool to see that 
Yeah, it was cool to see him at the top. He gave a good emotional speech. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw a little clip of it. But uh, good for Tiger. I'm glad he's had a turnaround, and hopefully he'll never have another surgery. Yeah, no, I hope, I hope he's getting right management. It's interesting, though, when you look at people who are at the top and they have a fall and they come back, I think that's one of the most, you know, it's, it's very, that's a very challenging thing to do. You got to, you got to, you really have to kind of hunker down and work hard for that. Yeah, it's cool. Again, very, very inspiring. And uh, we wish him the best. Yes. Going back to the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, no. Go, yeah, we, we got to. We got to talk about this association. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. So the 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 idea that best interests are in mind when it comes to associations it might not be the case. I mean, this is this is why I'm trying. You know, I think we're both trying to give more information to the individual clinician because the more you can learn about this information, the better. So, like this whole Etna thing that happened. You know, if you don't know what it is and you're a clinician, they basically are, uh, it's not just plan specific. It's every plan under the, I think both Aetna and Blue Cross Blue Shield, because it's both or uh, they. For what? For their pre-authorization stuff. That's a tough question. I'm not sure, actually. Um, The pre-auth, I think it was just Aetna on this particular one. Uh, I think that was a major shift in September. and, Mm -hmm. And again, this. It's a tricky thing to get authorization when you haven't even seen the person. Right, yeah. So this if you don't know what that is, if you go for physical therapy, that first appointment's gonna be covered just because it's the eval. But the you know, what the insurance companies want in this situation when they need quote pre authorization, physical therapist sees them, they document and then they send that note along with the prescription and if the prescription's needed, I think that's plan dependent. And outcome measures, everything's looked at, you know, some magical person that's floating in the air says, oh, they get 12 today, you know, they get six today or whatever. Now, this is another crazy concept that probably hasn't hit, mm. but in the ad, may make a little difference in the ad network world, um, getting authorization before you see the patient. What? Yes. <laughs> when does so this start? Pre-auth- so before the patient Before comes the in, eval. Or the eval, you give a diagnosis. How I don't know. This the only way this works is if you're getting a referral from a doctor who has a predetermined. This doesn't work for out of network, right? I mean, excuse me for direct access, right? So they will cover you at a certain rate if you don't have pre-auth. So they might not give you the full reimbursement because you didn't get authorization. So you're getting you're getting financial benefit from, from just saying the hey, doctor for seeing the do- and for saying to the insurance company hey i got joe coming in tomorrow mm-hmm. he sprained his ankle he sprained his ankle two weeks ago because mm-hmm. they probably want a date of injury right mm-hmm. just giving you a heads up joe's coming in and that's enough that that's pre-auth all right joe's coming in for his ankle you cleared it with me then they may require auth, right? After that, then you do, after the first visit, you'll say Joe's ankle range of motion is decreased. It's swollen. He can't walk. He's limping. Then then maybe, but I, like you said, I don't know this goes to the authorization police or department. That's insane. I, so th- th- or what gets me the most is obviously they're trying to do this to, quote, control costs. Correct. 
Okay, great. So what research shows that this is what's costing the health care world more? Like I think, I think it just comes to what we always discuss. It's another mount, It's another little hike. They could turn around and say, listen, look at the policy. We require <laughs> pre-authorization. Therefore, we're not going to cover those first two visits when you didn't contact us. Mm-hmm. So we'll start fresh. Those two visits you'll have to eat and pay your light bill some other day. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know. So yeah. it's crazy. But um, my it, understanding the uh, from what I hear is they're getting overwhelmed with all this, this, you know, because this requires a lot of manpower. So what of this, course. so this auth and no auth and, and members benefits, you know, they, they're probably spread a little thin. So it, it, you know, I don't see. They should just get rid of it. Right? <laughs> they should just <laughs> if get it was rid that of easy. That would be nice. I mean, I do. I mean, my my thing is, the, I guess what drives me the most nuts is like when you hear all this stuff, and then you hear about like when we're presented with research that's showing conservative management is going to save the healthcare world, whatever. And then <laughs> you talk to people, and they're just they they regurgitate the same information. I'm like, why can't you just like take a step back and look at what they're doing? Like that, it's just common sense stuff. It's any person, any adult. They could just see what's happening. It's another barrier to prevent this conservative management from being initiated and from going forward successfully. Whereas where insurance companies really make gains is on the other side, imaging, medication, surgeries. That's the money. I mean, that's we got what, that's that's a tons of money. And, and again, that's is that being um, is that being scrutinized? You know, are are these? I mean, I do. Th- to be honest, I know that a lot of imaging, imaging, insurance companies do require authorization for a lot of imaging, um, and that's another catch, right? This person needs an image. The quicker they get the image, in some cases, um, the quicker the course of care could be determined. Uh, but there's holdups. So mm-hmm. this person now with the ankle sprain that they're not walking around on thinks they broke their ankle. Mm-hmm. They're waiting a week to get a you know a, a pic no, excuse me a uh, an image a picture of their leg <laughs> uh, a little picture um, they're missing work they're not getting treatment because oh let's just hold off on physical therapy which we know is a bad idea mm-hmm. um, let's hold off until we get the image everybody's on hold and then the insurance company accepts it they get the image and now it's two weeks and now the person's been immobilized they still can't walk. And now their rehab process is now extended. So, again, I'm not sure who – there needs to be some clinical eyes in these decisions. And um, I think they're out there, but they have to be a stronger voice. It does. So this is the conundrum. You know, this whole idea, PT first, get PT first, right? There's this whole hashtag thing on Twitter, and a lot of the leaders, they're pretty funny about going against it because then they'll just – launch into this whole like mill situation where not all PTs are great, which is absolutely true. This is absolutely. True. You know, I, I we see it firsthand, we hear about the horror stories from patients. Uh, so there has to be some sort of uh verification or like vetting or whatever it is or or something that is really a little bit more aggressive in oh hi, I'm a PT. Okay. Well I think you're going to need to prove that a little bit more in a sense that, you know, are you this goes back to supporting the mill situation. So are you going to be that one? Are you going to be that group who are okay with just 
doing, you know, churning these things out and, you know, providing this low quality care and doing just focusing on documentation and not well, getting educated. That and, won't help the patient. That that'll no. well again that'll reinforce the fact that the patient was like, well, I tried PT. It didn't work. A couple. It didn't work. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor, he ordered an X-ray. He gave me an anti-inflammatory, and I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. He gave me so, an injection. He gave me an injection. <laughs> he rubbed my leg. I don't know, but he. Um, but again, the mill situation is is not good for any of us in the field, right? No. And, and low quality care, also a big, you know, a big determinant in, in how people perceive us as a whole right so so that needs to change that needs to change and this is what i was bitching about earlier and and whining that that, that this <laughs> this needs you know this is not helping us Lee's gonna drop the mic i'm like, <laughs> fucking done <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i talked about it before like i've had my moments you know that and oh, it's, it's it's tough and i think I, I am obviously not alone i hear this stuff from 100 percent of the pts that i know that i'm an acquaintance with and it's, I guess that's hard for me because I know those these groups of people can get together, and we can really affect the things because we're the ones providing the stuff. We're the we're the clinicians in the trenches. We're the ones getting our nose bloodied every day. And I know it's dramatic, but it's it's true. We can say like, no, we're not we're not going to preauthorize this. We're going to treat the patient. We have the skills. We have the tools. We have certain tests that have higher ratings in terms of percentages and st- statistics that are better than imaging and doctor's examinations. That's just true. Right. That's, that's just evidence. I'm sorry so, to say the scientific method, you know, uh, this is we, we can put that in the show notes. Right. And, and I think um, <laughs> as Lee just called the mobiliz- to mobilize everyone is like. I mean, I don't want to get too specific on this, but the, the idea of kind of creating another organization mm-hmm. is not too far off because um, the split is kind of happening. People that are being, I mean, complicit is a big word. I know that <laughs> Lee, Lee likes that complicit. I, I mean, it's perfect. No, it's complicit, I, I had to Google it. And then if you look at complicit. What does it say? I'm sorry. It, it's, it's to agree with some kind of illegal activity. I'm going to give you the... Well, that's perfect. <laughs> that is unbelievably perfect for the situation because... I'm a dip- I'm trying to be diplomatic, but okay. it is true. No, 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 no. No, I think you're right. See, Eric is a really good friend, man. Like, <laughs> I, I, I would be... I'd be lighting the table on fire yeah, if he like, wasn't here. Uh, involved. <laughs> All right, look. Involved with others in illegal activity or wrongdoing. Yeah, okay. So that's a... Yeah. But there's a... There is, you know... there. I, I think... The, People are complicit, and I think again, it it is a person. I personally think it's a personality type of not wanting to ruffle fl- feathers and yeah. really kind of going with the flow. And it's a large institution, you know. Yeah, and that, I mean, we have to get over this. Uh, we are the we are the institution that's doing it's, this. You are your own company, and you are your own representation. So, what you do on an individual level with your patients. It, it matters. Right. It matters because that you know that interaction you had with that patient for whether it's twenty minutes or an hour, whatever it is, that first interaction, the second interaction, whatever experience that patient has is now what they think of as quote what a physical therapist does, yes, or what a trainer does, and um, you know I think we all have um, a large, uh, a big job really in in kind of promoting the profession in the most positive way and and ultimately that 
that's quality care and we could talk about quality care and how that varies person to person but yeah. but really i mean each of us can make a difference and it was interesting recently uh, there was a in-service done that i witnessed and it was a fantastic in-service and it basically was given to some seasoned therapists some new grads um, and it was about common myths in our industry and it was just basic stuff we've already talked about we're talking about the myth of bad posture um, you know the myth of tissue damage equals pain uh, the myth of uh, this incredibly intricate physical examination is going to determine the outcome of care and or the injury for instance if you examine like someone has shoulder pain and you're measuring the millimeters uh, of the medial border of the scapula from the vertebrae, and that really makes a difference. A, a scapular dyskinesis, that's like an actual mm-hmm. diagnosis. So all these things, and it was not well-received. It was not, and sadly, the most seasoned of all these therapists was probably, actually, this is not surprising, but it was sad to me. He was very, um, I don't know what the word is. Confrontational? Uh, yeah, confrontational. Well, maybe dismissive. And both, yeah. No. <laughs> and, and angry and all these other things. And it, it didn't get through to him. And he just refused to accept or even learn more about it. And he actually, you know, uh, pulled a new grad aside who wasn't doing the in-service. And could that new grad had a question and was trying to get more insight in it. And he, he basically was, after the thing was done, he was trying to tell her, that this is no, no, I don't I don't remember exactly what he said, but mm. the theme was this information doesn't really mean that in the case of like other things, and, and that's really sad to me because that's a new grad, and it's like you're you know depending on how much respect that new grad had for him, who knows how much information got through, right? But it I wanted to say to this person like you're gonna be a dinosaur, you already are a dinosaur. You're a dinosaur, and dinosaurs are going to get extinct in our field very soon. And it's not a theme. It's not my personal bias against this person. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's going to ha- happen. It's, it's happening as we speak. And, you know, we talk about this. Um, look, people are realizing, well, my shoulder hurts, my back hurts, my knee. It's probably because I'm out of shape. You know, mm-hmm. people have that thought, right? I'm like, I have patients that come in and say, well, I've gained some weight, and I think the weight, is affecting my knee now or my ankle, whatever it is. Mm. So these patients are going to say, you know what? I don't really need a doctor. I don't really need a physical therapist. Mm. I think I'm going to get a trainer. And there it is. The dinosaur is using ultrasound, telling them that they have, you know, patellofemoral tracking issue or whatever it is and escape the fact that this person is a bit out of shape. Mm. And the trainer is going to be gun ho enthusiastic, happy to be with this person. They're not going to have to write a note. (laughs) And they're going to make this person feel better. And then that dinosaur is now on its way to the pit. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And and this dinosaur is getting, you know, it calls out sick and has like, you know, back pain all the time. And and I would say, wow, I mean, like you're, you're a living example of what we try to instill the patients that we want them to avoid where they can manage the stress appropriately they can handle their body and the information that's going in another body intelligently, and you can't even do that. And that is no surprise to me that you have this mindset that's not going to help, you know, other colleagues, other people, whatever it is. Yeah, but, if, if there's one piece of advice to any therapist, phys, you know, physical therapist, trainer, whatever it is, is what Lee's mentioning about perception. I mean, you could try, you could mobilize someone's knee, you could release somebody's hip. You could help them out with, you know, 
glute meat strength. But if you could change their perspective, then you're you're able to help them. And a lot of you know, with pain science, we know that what often takes a person to kind of feel better is a shift in mindset, perception, and just the way they experience, the way they perceive what they're feeling and how they're feeling it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, aside from any fancy clinical tools, you know, changing someone's perspective, and we're not asking them, to, you know, to change anything that they're morally uh, hold tight to themselves. I mean, this yeah. is, we're talking about orthopedic issues here, right? right? We're not asking them to change any political affiliation. Religion. We're just, yeah, none of that. <laughs> we're just, hey, this is what's going on. This is what, you know, often, this is what we you, you think may be going on, but... What if we approached it this way? Right. What if I told you you don't need 10 hours a week? Maybe you need 10 minutes a day. You know, So mm-hmm. these little perspectives on time and just changing their perspective just a little because that will have a huge – I think it has a lot of huge huge implications. Funny you say that. I wanted to bring this up. Sarah Dimmick, last time she was on – or when she was on last week, <clears throat> she said something perfect. She's like, I want to make safe sexy. Like nice. safe exercise, sexy. And I love that because that is, I, I started to think about it more in our world, manual therapy, pathomechanics, biomechanics, it's so sexy. Right. It's like the I most do, sexiest thing. I do thing. this and yeah. this happens. I mean, it's that's why we do, I got into it for that reason. Same here, man. <laughs> like I, I heard these words, like I heard paragraphs of information from these people who are very skilled in it. I was like, Jesus, that's a lot of info. Like how did they learn all this and apply it with their hands? I mean, even them doing the techniques they have to get in like this stride position and like, <laughs> and like you hear, you hear pops and stuff like that. I was like, whoa, that's super awesome. And in my head, I wasn't like that sexy but i was like this is attractive to me it's cool yeah and so like (laughs) what's fine mobilize it again (laughs) mobilize it again (laughs) oh man but we we should make pain science is definitely not sexy i mean it's probably the most unsexy thing in the world because it it ties back to simple principles (laughs) it ties back to like breathing stress uh sleep uh diet health all this this stuff sadly well Sadly, and just it's honest, but self-reflection, right? I mean, it, it really mm. puts the ball in the patient's court. And, you know, often patients talk about their herniation, their injury, as if it was something else, as it was, as if it wasn't part of them. Right. When in actuality, it, 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 it's inside it's them. It's inside them. It's, yeah. there, it's there. And, and the ant, I mean... This is on the clip. The answers are inside. No, <laughs> the no, the answers answer, are out there. Are, the answers are out there and in there, actually. The answers are within. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's funny. Safe and sexy. Yeah. So, yeah, we got to make pain science. Sexy. And basic strengthening, like squatting sexy. I mean, although there's some cool new squatting tools that could <laughs> that I've marketed as very sexy. I forgot the name of Squat it. Squat magic. Squat magic. Holy shit. If anybody has not seen the commercial, YouTube it. Squat I mean, magic. Uh, Google it. It's probably on YouTube. Squat master. <laughs> it's sexy, man. Do you ever follow? Do you ever see any uh, of the posts from this company called Move You? I've heard of it. Yeah, I, I've seen guys. some of them. I've seen some of them. Yes. So I think one one of them is a chiropractor, and maybe with the others a physical therapist. But they're funny guys. They have a lot of good good information. But they did the squat magic, and they they were <laughs> they were doing all crazy stuff on it. They basically ended up like using it as a pool noodle by the end they were like <laughs> <laughs> tore it apart it was oh. pretty funny but uh yeah squat magic there's, there's, there's some videos man 25 minutes oh, there's I'm a sure. whole squat magic workout oh god oh man the 
squat perfected. The, this the, is yeah. insane, man. Why don't you just squat? Like just squat to sit down. Sit down, stand up. It's, it's so simple. Squats are dangerous. Yeah, they're bad for your knees. Right. And then deadlifting is bad for your back. Right. And you should lie on your back, <laughs> sleep on your back with your legs elevated. Arms crossed and just look like Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a question we often get. How, do you How should I sleep? Like, uh, with your eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, uh, my, uh, I sound like I'm selling a car, but mm. no, it's like, well, however you feel comfortable. Yeah, you have to be comfortable to sleep. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I, the idea of like, you know. There's a specific, your vertebrae rotate about three degrees to the left when you're on your right side. Your diaphragm is more thick Get on the left side. Get that pillow between your legs. Again, or, all of that, if a pillow be- between the legs or laying on your side or laying on your back, whatever allows you to get a restful sleep. Right. The sleep is more important than the position. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we did, we talked a lot of, a lot of stuff today. So I think the overall theme in terms of the positive spin on it, right? So let's say you're a clinician or you're about to become a clinician. You're graduating. Just keep this in the back of your head. At least understand what's happening in our profession. You don't have to jump in. If you're not comfortable with it, you don't have to jump into a cash practice, jump into an out-of-network practice, or start your own thing to make a difference. But at least understand what is going on where you could talk to other like-minded individuals who are trying to push our profession forward. There's so many people now out there doing that. There's so many avenues to connect. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, reach out to them. I've had so many people reach out to us, shadow, and talk in person. I feel like that's the best thing ever. If if you guys have negative or positive things to say about what we're saying today, don't comment on Twitter or Instagram about those things. Contact us. Contact us. We're, we have emails. We got phone. You, you want to meet in person? We meet in person. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not talking about the bad. No, just, no, no, no. Yeah, know, just l- let's trade ideas. And I think, yeah, yeah this, this uh, podcast <laughs> should be a great no, no. <laughs> I had to. I could see Lee like, what? Yeah, meet me. Meet me in that park. No, no, no. I I'm mean, a little guy. I'm only 145 pounds. Yeah, I'm, I'm harmless. Yeah, uh, don't let him. Don't let him kid you. But, um, but oh, I think shit. this is a call to action here. Yes. And, and in terms of, please, we 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 would appreciate any feedback and 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 ideas on how to um how to mobilize and to create change. Really. Yes. And if we really just focus on um <clears throat> a couple of key points here is how do we optimize patient care and most importantly how do we optimize our own care how do we optimize the delivery of that care because yeah. often you know we may quote give quality service but at at what cost right the cost is the burnt out therapist so how do we have a middle ground where the patient gets better and as a therapist we can continually provide that service first patient of the week to the last patient of the week should be receiving the same high quality, innovative, creative kind of approach. So again, we we call on the public to um, send us your comments. Yeah, and Matt LaLiberty and uh, Dr. Jordan said uh, they they mentioned it when they were on last time. But the investment, the emotional investment we have with our patients, that's very taxing. It's not a bad thing. We're just saying that's the amount of work that it takes to do an evaluation to build that relationship. So when we see less patients in a day, we're more adequately able to manage that energy, manage that investment, and pile that on to multiple days in a week. So if you're seeing 16 patients a day, 18 patients a day, that's really challenging to to offer 
that quality care, the offer that great relationship versus four, uh, I dare say eight, but I, I think the ideal was four a day. Um, that's adequate care so you can actually give information to the person, right. follow up with them. But also as a, another follow-up is, you know, kind of Lee touched upon it today, but <clears throat> as a physical therapist, as a trainer, you know, practicing what you preach, and most, most importantly, taking care of yourself. I mean, um, we use the analogy of the um, the oxygen mask. Yeah. Um, when you go into an airplane, they talk about, you know, delivering your oxygen prior to any child that's with you mm-hmm. in order to truly help them. So it's the same as in our career. You know, if we don't help ourselves, how can we fully help someone else? Right. Take care of yourself. Do things that make you happy. Be with people that make you happy and laugh and give yourself breaks. You're allowed to have breaks. You <laughs> should right. take days off. Maybe Use that go. vacation time while you guys have it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. All right. Any closers? Do you have any closing A comments? Cl- closing anything? comments? Um, give suggestions. Let's mobilize. Yeah. You know, let's connect. Let's let's change the game here. I mean, create our own game. Create our own little system. Famous quote: People who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who usually do. That's a great uh, that's a great quote to end on. So feel a little crazy and let's get shit done. Signing off. Signing off. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to a few good physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 